It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk about Mystery Men, the 1999 superhero comedy film directed by Kinka Usher. I am your host, Duncan. Joining me as always is Gardner. Welcome back, folks. And joining us today is a special guest who brought this movie for us to watch today. Simon Whitlock, a fellow podcaster from the shows Jumpcast and the Little Woman in Black Thunderpants podcast, is here today to talk to us about Mystery Men. Simon, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's genuinely a pleasure. I uh, am so excited uh, to be talking to like-minded souls when it comes to film. It's genuinely always exciting for me. I'm so excited to hear your excitement because I'm on the same <laughs> wavelength as you and getting so excited right now as well. So is there anything that you want to add to that brief intro I did? I know I mentioned your two shows, but is there anything else that you want to shout out? No, no, I think you've pretty much covered it all, really. Yeah, not not that many irons in the fire at the moment, but taking a lot of care of those of those precious few. It's you know, <laughs> trying to try to focus on the quality rather than the quantity at the moment. But yeah, I'm cool with that. Awesome. Before we go any further, a quick reminder: on this podcast, we talk about movies we love and interview independent filmmakers. We have four episodes a week, starting on Mondays with our Monday miniseries, where we go through the creation of Nostalgia, the short film that we here at GDT are working on getting made. Each week, we have a different member of the cast or crew on to discuss what they do with the film and how they got involved and also their background. Those episodes release every Monday, and we had the co-director, Kari, on for that episode, who is also a GDT host. On top of those episodes, we also have a Tuesday release where we are going through superhero films. Every new superhero film will be discussed on those episodes, so whenever there's a new show or movie, actually, we'll be talking about it there. So stay tuned for Thor 4, as well as other things. On top of that, when there's no new show or movie to talk about, we're actually going through the MCU movie by movie, starting with Iron Man. This week, we did The Incredible Hulk, the second film in the MCU, so go check that out if you missed it. Then, on top of those two episodes, we have our bonus episode, releasing every Thursday. On that bonus episode, we talk about new movies, new shows, something relevant, or we have a guest on to discuss a movie that they love. That's what you're listening to right now. Finally, on Friday, we have our full episodes where we interview independent filmmakers or other people in the filmmaking process. Those interviews are great. We have some amazing guests come on to talk about all different aspects of the filmmaking process. So if you've missed some of our past ones, definitely check them out. But this week, we have Steve Chorney, the artist who is known for doing many, many movie posters on to discuss his work and his life and all of his history with us. That was a really good interview. And even though you might not recognize his name, you definitely know his work because if you've seen movies in the last, I don't know, 50 years, you've definitely seen some of his work. Some of his more recent examples are Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, both of which he provided the artwork for the movie poster for. So get excited for that interview and all of our future episodes as well. And if you've missed our back catalog of episodes, go and check them out. Like I said, we have some great interviews. We're going through the MCU. So we did Iron Man. We're doing Incredible Hulk this week. And next week we'll have the next film, which I believe is Iron Man 2. 
Going forward, next week we have a discussion on our bonus episode of Set It Off with special guest Latoya, a film reviewer from England. That was a fun discussion of Set It Off, so get ready for that. But after that, next week, we have the beginning of Kenobi, the new series on Disney+. Plus. We will be going through that series episode by episode, reviewing each one, and releasing it as our bonus episode for the week. So those episodes release on Wednesdays, and then our episode discussing it will be releasing the following day on Thursday in the morning. However, if you're following the Kenobi series, you know that the first two episodes are dropping at the same time. So we're actually going to be doing our regular bonus episode on Thursday next week where we discuss Set It Off. And then on Saturday, we'll discuss Kenobi Episode 1. And on Sunday, we'll discuss Kenobi Episode 2. And then the following Thursday will be Kenobi Episode 3. And going forward, every following episode will be on the Thursday. But those first two episodes are released a little funky. So next Saturday and next Sunday, you get two extra episodes. So next week, you'll have Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday episodes. Get ready for that. Only one day off next week. So. Check those out, check out all our bonus episodes, and now we'll get back to the discussion of Mystery Men. But before we do that, a quick spoiler warning. Spoilers for Mystery Men, the entire film. Spoilers for everything that happens in Mystery Men. So if you haven't seen Mystery Men, then turn this off now, go and watch it, and get back to us. Because this discussion will contain spoilers. That was your spoiler warning. For everyone else, on with the discussion. So, Mystery Men was released in 1999. It is a superhero comedy film directed by Kinka Usher. It was written by Neil Cuthbert, and it was loosely based on the Flaming Carrot comics by Bob Burden. The film stars Ben Stiller, Hank Azaria, William H. Macy, Greg Kinnear, Janine Garofalo, Jeffrey Rush, Paul Rubens, Kel Mitchell, and many more. The film was a box office bomb, earning only $33 million worldwide on a $68 million budget, and received mixed reviews from critics and audiences. Although later, I believe, and we'll get into this, maybe turned into a cult classic? But who cares what they think? We're listening to GDT, and we want to hear what we have to say. So, here at GDT, we always like to let our guests give their opening thoughts first. Simon, that means you get to give your broad thoughts on Mystery Men, and you could also let us know why you brought this movie today for us to listen to, or for us to watch and talk about, and our audience to listen to. Out of all the movies in the world, what made you pick Mystery Men? That's a really good question to start off with. So the short answer to that is, basically, this film, I mean, I'll be honest, I know why this was a box office bomb. I'm just gonna, you know, come out on the back foot, admit, but... For me, this was a film that I caught when I was pre-teen, maybe 10 or 11. We're talking like home video, DVD at that point. You know, I'm not, I'm not that old, but you know, old, old enough for it to be when I was 10 years old and it was out on DVD. And I remember watching this to death pretty much every weekend, every day off that I was off school or anything else like that. It was this and Shrek were pretty much like my hard rotation. And I just... Watching it back now, I mean, it's been so long since I watched it in full and I just found myself falling in love with it again a little bit. I feel like, like you said at the top of this, like it didn't get a really decent showing at the box office and 
but the critical reception was lukewarm to you know mixed definitely i think the people who love it love it and the people who don't like it just you know it's nothing to them in, in any really in any real sense i think it's interesting that we have the landscape in now in terms of cinema and, and mainstream cinema certainly where we have so much in the way of superhero stuff and that awful abbreviation ip the whole just everything is being land grabbed in terms of intellectual property and everything you know for all of this ocean of again ip you have like very little in the way of that stuff that feels like it's been made with love and craft and care and then you go back to this which is like yeah turn of the millennium fairly mid-budget comedy superhero film and you just think now this film would never be made not least because there's not a recognizable name in it in terms of character but also because like no one wants to take a risk on a 70 odd million dollar film anymore unless it has got like some big firepower behind it um and i think yeah watching it back i was taken aback at just how visually distinct it is i was watching this uh, again and just thinking wow this is a really visually bold film uh it takes some really big s- swings in terms of uh what it does with its characters with some of its comedy and all the way through it you never get a sense that it's kind of laughing at the genre it feels very much like that best kind of a loving pastiche but it does feel very sincere all the way through like you don't ever have a sense of someone turning to the camera going oh this is a bit silly isn't it where I feel like you get that even now with some like big tentpole films I feel like they're taking that route so yeah it feels like it's a weird thing because it feels weirdly prescient in so many ways for what films are doing now but also never wanting to kind of talk down to people who would really love the source material, for instance, or even just that type of film. And yeah, this is like the late 90s. So this is a point where we haven't even had like, correct me if I'm wrong, God, the first X-Men movie. And like definitely not the first Spider-Man movie. So like we are pre any genuine like, oh, people really, really take these films seriously outside of like the committed crowd. And it's just such a fun artifact of this kind of strange primordial before time with this kind of film. And yeah, that's why I I think that's what really stuck with me when I was watching it as a kid. I was thinking, this is different and weird. And then watching it now, I was just thinking, oh, this is still different and weird. <laughs> it's Yeah, st- I, I, I guess I'm a sucker for different and weird. <laughs> it's just remained with me. Awesome. I I'm glad that you're bringing that passion here, and I expected nothing less, honestly. I, mean, <laughs> I expected that kind of an answer. So, oh, well. Gardner, what are your thoughts on Mystery Men from a broad standpoint? So, from a broad standpoint, I'll, I'll try to be nice. The, you know, this movie, <laughs> it didn't really work for me. It's the humor didn't land, just a lot of it. I, I it felt formulaic and, and very tropey in a lot of ways, which, you know, it's a comedy film. It's got to, it's got to hit those beats. And like you were saying, Simon, it it does feel like there is like love for this, this superhero genre and the tropes in there. It's just for me, what a game came down to was like a lot of the execution just didn't land. And, you know, I didn't grow up on this movie either. So I don't have like the nostalgia aspect of it, which I have for movies that are, you know, just ostensibly 
terrible films that I watched a lot growing up, like Dana Carvey's Master of Disguise. I watched that movie to death, like you said. Like I, I had that on DVD. Yeah, I'm not totally enough for the Turtle Club. That movie's awful, but I, <laughs> I you know, I have such fond memories of it. I, I want to echo what you said about the visual style. I really, really liked the sort of industrial gothic Tim Burton 1989 Batman aesthetic that they were going for. It really let you know like what was the context of the creation of this film and being able to place it in context in history helps a lot with understanding uh, what it was doing. So, I mean, yeah, there's definitely things I can, I can pick out of this movie that I think are, are well done and well handled. Uh, It just, it just didn't land for me uh, overall. So I said this before, but I think it was before we started actually recording. I'm going to fall in the middle here where I find things that I really enjoy about this. And then I find aspects that I find to be lacking for sure. And I think one of those points that Gardner made was the plot is a little cookie cutter. And I found points where I was like, okay, this is a little generic. And I was looking for a little more subversion maybe. And maybe I was looking for them to parody more than they did. Because it is a comedy but it's not necessarily a parody of the genre in many ways because it's actually doing a lot of the tropes, like you said, Gardner, as opposed to playing with the tropes, I think. Whereas some of them it does, and I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there was a couple, and hopefully I'll think of them as we're going through it, but there was a couple moments throughout it where I was like, oh, that's a a well done, like they're playing with something right there that is done. And like you said, actually, it's more interesting because superhero movies haven't become that big yet obviously we do have the burton movies and there's superhero there's more there's more like dc stuff i guess before this really and the marvel x-men that kind of stuff hasn't really taken off yet so it's interesting that they're treating this genre very lovingly i think before it's gotten this mainstream and it's goofy the movie's goofy but before it's gotten this mainstream success in ways where it's maybe grittier in other ways or where it's it's taken seriously at least that hasn't happened yet so i think it's interesting that this movie exists before that zeitgeist so with that being said parts that i really do enjoy is are the cast and the not just the performances but the characters that they're portraying i think that you have some interesting characters here i think interestingly enough ben stiller is the weak link both his character and his portrayal I don't think he's necessarily bad. I think it might be what he's given in the script. I don't know him being. I I mean, I'm assuming, assuming he was like at like he's pretty much at the height of his stuff at the, at the time, right? He's already big at this point, or is he is he still on his way up? Kind of. I could be wrong there, but I'm 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 picturing him as the big name on it, right? I imagine he he was. You would know better having watched it. This is still a few yeah, years yeah. before Meet mm-hmm. the Fockers, but uh, Simon, do you know? Um, I think you're right. Yeah. So this is like around the time where you have this and you have like Zoolander the year after. And then, yeah, like meet the parents, meet the fuckers in like that same period. So, yeah, this is like peak stiller in terms of acting. Okay. But so maybe because it's not like that has some of those haven't happened yet. Maybe he doesn't have as much like say over a script, for example. And he's Mm. just has to do what he's given and doesn't have as much like because I think he's a funny guy and maybe less funny than some of his counterparts i think so some of his contemporaries i think of that era i think are are just made funnier movies and are funnier comedians in general but that's neither here nor there i just think he it's funny that he's the weak link in my opinion here because he seems to be the the biggest name and in, in, in 
a group of character actors, really. No leading man amongst them, really. But great actors, in my opinion. And I don't think that... I mean, Gardner, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that's going to be your big complaint would be the cast, right? No, definitely not. I think the cast is is one of the parts of this movie that I really like. I mean, having Tom Waits as the you know genius inventor or whatever is awesome. I love Tom Waits, so getting to see him show up was was great but yeah no the the cast is not what uh missed about this movie for me and yeah like the stylization of everything i have to agree with that some of the stuff just doesn't land and i think that that's fair and i think it's a fair assessment of it gardner and i think it's fair to feel that way but it's more fun to talk about what we do love about it so let's get into it let's get into the actual plot of it it does open with an attempted is it a robbery or what are they, what are they doing at the nursing home? yeah it's like a stick up isn't it it's, yeah uh, okay so and and we we got our guys going in there and it's the three of them fumbling about. I know Ben Stiller like jumps on the ground is the first thing he does. He just completely misses his target. And we got, you know, a spoon being thrown instead of a fork and mishaps like that. And then we have um what is his name? Captain Captain Amazing. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm what you'll learn, Simon, is that I'm really bad with character names. I am I'm, the same. I'm a big they actor were. name guy. I'm really, <laughs> really bad with it. Doesn't even mean that I didn't like enjoy or pay attention to the film. It just means that I'm me. So don't take oh that God. as a hit no. against a knock on the film. <laughs> no, don't worry at all. I'm I'm weirdly the other way around. I get actors completely confused and messed up. Like every week when doing the jump cast show, I'll just be like, oh yeah, who's that guy? And it's just like, oh, Robert Pattinson. I'm trying to think of the Batman. Like uh, oh, yeah, I can say Batman like 20 times in a row. But the second it comes to the actor, I'm like, oh, what's his name again? Like, genuinely, it's I don't know what it is. It's IMDb brain. You know, it's the oh, he was that guy in that thing. Just so used to doing that like five times a week. So, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I think. All right. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> and then so he comes in and he saves the day and he gets all the credit and he's got the PR team and he's got all the news cameras in his face and we cut to him then in the car with his publicist and it's like you've knocked out all the villains basically and you have no one else left to fight it actually reminds me Gardner I don't know if you remember when we did the review of or not the review but the discussion of we weren't being like critical of it I guess we were kind of interviewing the filmmaker of Trollbridge and in that, the main character says something along the lines of, you know, where, you know, it used to be when you would go through the tro- the forest, you'd fight a bunch of goblins. Where all the goblins go? And he was like, well, you, you killed them all. Now, now they're not there anymore. It's something along those lines. And he was reminiscing about that. But it made me think about that. That was exactly where I went was Trollbridge when, when they were talking about this. But I do like this opening struggle that we're, that we're presented with. And I, I feel like if I was watching it in the theaters, I'd be like, okay, like I'm, I'm ready to go. This movie's got me going. And it's like so far presents me with something that's interesting. So I'd love to hear your guys' takes on the beginning of it so far. I say it's an interesting one because off the bat, you have this whole going across the cityscape and it's like reminiscent of like Blade Runner in a way where you have these like, where it's kind of like part Blade Runner, part like Watchmen, like on the cityscapes, the blimps going across all over the place. And then, yeah, a little bit of Gotham. And it's just like, yeah, it's it's it feels really properly comic book city stipe stipe style thing. Um, and yeah, I absolutely dig that. But like you say, it really just throw yourself throw everyone into things. Like it's a two-hour movie, and straight away you have like bam, action shot. Like we are fully ready to go. There's no messing around, there's no origin story. It's just cool. Here are these guys. 
I, I think that works well from a story perspective. I was just, I think a little bit the presentation for me, that's when I was, that opening scene, I was just like very confused. And it's, it's so, I, maybe I just wasn't expecting it to be so campy because mm. this is just straight camp for 120 <laughs> minutes and it doesn't let up from the, from the first frame to the last. And it's just a little bit like, you know, all the Dutch angles and the weird spins and zooms and, and oh, cuts, yeah. like some of the editing and the fight scene in the beginning. I was like a little confused. I was like, what's going on? Like, I can't really get my bearings. And I can see that really working, you know, off the bat. If you are, if you feel like, oh, I'm just being thrown into this world and, I'm, I, you know, things are just like plot elements and characters are coming at me and I'm just going to figure it out as it goes along. I didn't have that reaction. I was a little bit like, okay, what the hell is going on? Like I'm about to check out, you know, right away. Cause, <laughs> cause there's so much stuff going on, but I, I did really like this, the stuff with captain amazing off the bat. It made me think that they were going to go like a, um, like a mega mind kind of route, you know, where it was like, he was going to die right away. And then, you know, which it eventually does go that route, but, but not the same um, or like a, like a like a homelander from the boys or uh like an invincible type thing where he's secretly also the evil villain and stuff like that so that was a little bit of a, a subversion he actually was a decent guy he just happened to be too good at what he does and i, I like that i i didn't think of Trollbridge duncan but i'm glad you brought that up because it does make me think of that and that is something that would happen to you know an extremely successful superhero over time let's say it's interesting that you bring up homelander i think that's a really good comparison like in so many ways because yeah you have this he is competent like he is a really he's really good at being a superhero and also with like the boys with that whole kind of having the big branding partnerships having the endorsements having the adverts playing 20 times a day on tv and on billboards and everything else but then also i guess the comparison stops where you have homelander being homelander <laughs> that character and you know wow and then yeah having captain amazing just being like ever so slightly a bit of a jerk but only because he's the successful one he, he he's kind of got that air of arrogance about him but yeah, you never expect, hope, well, let's say, certainly don't hope that he's going to go start like burning holes into people's brains and stuff like that. He is like a middle ground between a Homelander and someone who's the more conventional superhero that you usually see, where oh, they yeah. wouldn't ever do something like break the villain out in order to get themselves more publicity by fighting that villain. <laughs> that You're never going to see a regular superhero do that. And in that scene, actually, if we want to talk about that, is... The first, you know, we see the Superman disguise, right? That that identity. And that's one of the things I said I was hoping I would remember some of them. That's one of the things they did play with when Ben Stiller's character is like, dude, they're the same person. And they're like, no, it doesn't make any sense. He wears glasses. Like, he couldn't be <laughs> able to see. see? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny. And I thought, I thought that was A, a good comedic moment, and B, like, a good, like, actual, like, playing with the stuff and that comes up a little bit later but mm. in that breakout scene from and it's not really a real breakout it's uh, uh you know he's making a plea to the prison system or maybe not the pr prison system i guess because he's in a mental house instead of he's not in a prison i guess he's in a asylum yeah. so yeah. i guess it's not necessarily the like it's not like a warden i guess it's more of a whoever's in charge of that but 
anyway, it's not a breakout scene. Was my point is is it's more of a the superhero giving a like vote of confidence to the super villain that he's going to be able to be a redeemed person and not a villain anymore. And uh, I did like that, like the idea that he's like breaking him out like that. Like I don't know, I thought that was again like a fun twist on like what like it's a good way for him to solve that issue that he's having. And like he's confident, right? He's cocky in a way that Homelander is, for example, that he's like, all right, this will be fine. Like, I'll just get him back in there and he'll put him away for good this time. Oh, yeah. I did like the little touch of him giving the impassioned letter from Captain Amazing when it's his shopping list. <laughs> That's great. Just a little touch. Appreciate that. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some, some good moments like that. I like that he walks in and, you know, he's not wearing the sunglasses or he's not wearing the, the glasses and... The people are like, oh, it's uh, what's his name? Lance. Like, oh, it's yeah. Lance. And he's, they're like, he's like, oh, yeah, I've got a letter from Captain Amazing. I thought at that point they all knew because this is before yeah. the scene in the diner where they see him on TV and they have the discussion about it doesn't make any sense. if He takes his glasses off. So that was fun. I wish they would have done a little more with that character. I get that it's it's not his story. He's just kind of like a MacGuffin for our main crew. But he, him being like the composite of Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent, I thought was like very fun mm. of an idea. And it just doesn't get too much expounded upon because that's not the story we're telling. We're telling the story of the unsuccessful heroes who become successful. And so he breaks them out. I'm just going to keep calling him breaking him out. Obviously, I've, just, I've gone over how it's not a real breakout scene, but he breaks them out. And he is in his lair and he blows up the asylum and we have ben stiller watching like from the bushes and we have captain amazing come in and he confronts him and he's like oh like fancy seeing you here didn't expect you and he's like really because it seems like he probably did and i was like all right i'm glad that he wasn't like that he wasn't fooled by something like that because that would make him a stupider character then you know, if that line went over his head, the fact that, that he, like, obviously this was a trap. And then, like, right, right after that, you get that where he's like, hey, you want to take away those blah, blah, blahs? And you want to take away those two? And hey, would you mind disarming those? And he's very nonchalant. And, like, he is a little bit like, I mean, it's a comedy, but he's a little bit, like, cool and badass about it. Like, in, like, a more serious movie that it would it would play differently. But it show it's good at showing, like that he is clever he is good at his job he like i mean he's taken out all the villains like and not in just by luck or not by them being fools i don't think because this is a, a real villain like he said he was like that was a villain's villain or whatever he said it is he says about it before he the breakout scene he describes him as like a like a real villain and he is like this is this guy is a force to be reckoned with and not someone that like the mystery men for example would be well equipped to just take on at the beginning of this film for example so it is like the stakes are high, the stakes are there, and you believe that this guy is a real superhero as well. Like, not that he like was bumbling around. So I like that. And um, yeah, I like so far I like this whole setup, and I don't think it's too cookie cutter yet. It is like falling into like place for sure. But for me, it's working like so far. And like the comedy in aspects is working, and other aspects, it's like, all right, this is cheesy for sure. This is definitely there's aspect of cheesiness for sure. But so far, it's working for me. And again, it's the characters. You got to fall in love with the characters, I think. And sometimes they're given not as much to do and sometimes they're given more to do. But like I said, so far, um, especially in that when they're eating in that diner scene, or I guess maybe it's not a diner, but in wherever they are in the restaurant scene, 
that's a lot. You get a lot out of those three characters there. So if we want to talk about that a little bit, I don't know if um, Simon, maybe you have some specifics about that. I do like the interplay. I think what they get so well done in this is that at no point do you ever not believe that these three guys like at the heart of this team, anything but just regular people who just decided one day, you know what, we're going to fight crime. Like I think as uh, William H. Macy's character's wife says, it's been 12 years, like when he walks in after a night out and it's just like, just the exasperation and the, and him just being like, I know, I know, like it's exposition, but it's one of those times when they are expositing this whole background thing so well that you immediately get it. These are not your Avengers types or X-Men or Justice League types. They are flawed people. They're flawed people who have ambitions and maybe delusions, who knows, in wanting to be heroes. Clearly, in you know, in a place like Champion City where you have someone like Captain Amazing who is just there and they're 24-7, whether that's in person or literally going, ah, gingivitis is a crime kind of thing. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it does feel like it... it I am not surprised in the slightest that an environment of that would breed people who would go, I think we could do that. I really do. And I think that when you get into like the wider world, like, you know, that becomes more evident. But when it's just sitting down with these three guys, you really do get a sense of they really care about each other. Even if you have got Ben Stiller's character being, you know, the grumpy aloof type who's got an eye, one eye on his friends and one eye on the girl at the counter. Or you have uh, Hank Azaria's character who is just, you know, demanding to be taken seriously when still being absolutely ridiculous and just the having to over-explain everything because he's clearly come up with a cool name first and then, like, the powers and everything else afterwards. And then, yeah, it's just all that kind of thing. You have, there's, again, like, this thing flies by, like, in this first act. And at no point do you ever go, like, I, at least I felt like I was not, ever stuck for understanding who these people were, why they were doing what they were doing, and what their relationships to one another were, even in that, like, even in, like, the stuff they order when it comes to, like, getting food, like, um, Hank Azaria character gets, like, the salad this was, Ben Stiller gets the steak, <laughs> and at the end of it, they're still complaining about having to split it three ways evenly, that kind of thing. Like, it's all, like, it's small talk, and it's... Uh, it's not like big world-changing conversations. It's, oh, well, why do I have to pay the same as you guys? I only got the salad. Like that kind of thing really just, it makes you just remember the humanity of it in these stories. I think that's, I think it's to be commended, definitely. Yeah, they definitely don't waste time driving that home. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's they, they make sure to drive it home, but it doesn't feel like it. the point is, overly like belabored uh you, especially in this first act i do i do think the second act kind of drags a little bit when we get into um the sphinx and stuff like that but uh all, all, all good points that you just made in, in developing these characters their motivations and their relationships to one another is well handled for sure and to your point about like him coming up with the name 
before and like the cool name i thought one of the bits of humor that worked was when they were talking about and you don't even have any blue in your outfit yeah <laughs> and he was like you have pretty much every other color and i love that it's like the fact that it's like you got like a floral design like there's got to be blue in there somewhere and i'm looking at it and i'm like i don't see any blue you're right like that's yeah, a good point absolutely none. like the costume design is to be commended because they very carefully put no blue whatsoever in, in certainly the first iteration of his outfit it's just like that's so clever and so funny yeah i love that so another point that i want to bring up when we're talking about like the families and i think i have to agree that that's good exposition because i think it's interesting dialogue and it's interesting exposition whatever Mm. i don't know know another word for it it's exposition but it's interesting so i i think it's well done like you were saying simon but also i enjoy ben stiller's boss who's telling him to crush the car or whatever. What's the phrase she's saying? Not crush it. Uh, She's saying junk it. Junk it is what she's saying. She keeps that performance might be the performance of the whole movie. The way she keeps saying it to him. It's, it's phenomenal in my opinion. Oh my God. That was though one of the parts where I was like, okay, Ben Stiller, I don't know if he's phoning it in right here or if it's like just a cheesy, like way it's like presented, but like it wasn't doing it for me, the Ben Stiller stuff as much as I loved the boss. And I loved what she was, I loved like every close up of her, every line delivery of hers. I, I, it was just, I loved it. I mean, I mean, a hot take, but I just don't think Ben Stiller is that great in front of the camera. I think he's really solid behind the camera when he's, you know, working as a director or producer or something. But he has never been one of my favorite comedic actors. Like we were saying earlier, like, you know, when you look at his contemporaries, like the Will Ferrells and John C. Reilly's and you know, on and on and on. I find those guys to be much funnier and much more convincing. There's some weird energy that Ben Stiller has that is is like Farrell can convincingly be like a like a 12 year old in like a 45 year old man's body. But when Stiller tries to do something like that, like the scene where he's like trying to bang on the car and trying to get furious and something like it just feels feels like a grown man phoning him in. I don't know. It just it it doesn't uh, he doesn't have that same. I don't know if it's charisma or or what it is. It's just there's something there that doesn't land for me. Here's what it is for me. And maybe I'm just talking personally and not for where you're coming from, Gardner. But I think it has to do for me with the fact that it always feels like maybe it's not him, but his characters, at least, are taking themselves too seriously, even in comedies. Because one of my favorite movies that he's in is Dodgeball. Oh, yeah. And just like the character in this film, both those characters take themselves very seriously, right? And I think that can almost work against it. And it might just be his face. He might just have one of those faces where when he's doing that kind of smugness and that kind of I'm the good or not the good. I'm the better one here. I'm better than you guys. I'm like the Globo gym guy for sure. Is that is totally that guy. But the way he treats his friends at points, it's like, it's like, all right, like you're not better than these guys. You're kind of a fool too. I saw you in that fight in the first one. I saw what you were doing. You're not captain amazing at all. You belong with the mystery men because you're a B superhero or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? You're a you you mean well for sure. You guys are meaning well, and maybe you mean less well than the other two. Maybe you're in it more for like the pride and the and the glory, and the other two are in it for like the actual saving it. We can get into that maybe later. But my point being is that I think his characters maybe take themselves too seriously, and that can work against it. And like you mentioned, Will Farrell, John C. Riley. I would say you know you got like the Adam Sandler's, Chris Rock's, and you got the um, Jim Carrey's as well. There's many more. 
but those are the big ones and i think that their movies are movies that i want to watch more like you even like adam sandler i'm a will ferrell guy so when you when you talk about things like anchorman talladega knights stepbrothers semi-pro and he had a string of like seven or eight years where it was just bang 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 other guys all these movies that's like none of the as good as i find some of the adam sandler comedies he doesn't have that catalog that i think will ferrell does but while we're on the top of it and you brought up john c Riley, who i think a lot of people would see as less of a contemporary as those because he was more of the secondary character as opposed to the leading man in the comedies but i would argue that he's the best of them all because he's both dramatic and comedically better than anyone like obviously we've talked about in the past how jim carrey has done both dramatic and comedic and will farrell is another example he's dabbled in some dramatic roles although he's not gotten the praise that other comedic actors have gotten when they go dramatic but um everyone's done it my point being but i would say that john c Riley is someone who i could see winning some awards one day i think he, he's got an oscar in him oh absolutely down the line for sure somewhere but he's he's one of those guys who's like i think a real like I think he's like dramatically trained and stuff like that. Like, you know, like he's like real, he's like an actor's actor who also does comedy, which is why I, I put him like head and shoulders above him. Walk Hard, Dewey Cox is one of my favorite movies of all time. He doesn't give enough credit. I just want to say that right now. Um, You brought <laughs> him up. You did this to, to our listeners, Gardner. You mentioned John C. Rye on the podcast. I'm going to get on my soapbox and talk about how great I think he is. But I just wanted to also mention those others when we were, you know, I didn't want it to be just the Adam McKay boys. Because I know, Gardner, that's your lane that you like, uh, we were just talking about winning time right before this, which coincidentally split those that trio up. It did. Yeah, we won't we won't dwell on it. But that's a that's an interesting piece of behind the scenes drama, which apparently I was looking at IMDb trivia for Mystery Men. And apparently there was a lot of behind the scenes drama on this film as well. I mean, Stiller said that he and Kinnear got into a heated argument on set and he almost walked off the movie, which is interesting. It doesn't it, it doesn't feel like there was a lot of bickering behind the scenes on tone and comedic style because it feels pretty consistent all the way through yeah looking on this as well like even the build-up to even the run-up to filming feels quite tumultuous from from what i can gather like it went from director director i think danny devito at one point was going to be like involved in the writing and direction of this ben stiller himself was asked to direct it at some point and he was saying no it's just too many plates to spin alongside being in it it was getting passed along and then it settled on oh my god see this is what i was talking about Duncan, with the struggling to actually remember people whose name i have seen over and over again kinka, kinka. That's it. yeah that's it and i think it was his first direct his first feature film like up to that point he'd been doing like commercials and adverts all over the place so Looking at that and looking at the film in its final product, like you can see that visual stuff is all over there. But yeah, like even in the run up, people were going, oh, well, I will do it, but I need this. Like there were loads of fights over the soundtrack. I think it was Danny DeVito's like deal breaker was that he really, really wanted to have control over that. And everyone else was just going, nope, not interested. Uh, and even when King Usher got involved, he like, he didn't like the script to begin with. He was going, I'm not sure about this. But they they powered through. And I think they just, like, in the end, like they just went, like the McKay's, like the Apatels, just went, cool, improv it. Let's just work out all the stuff that doesn't work and just improv in some other bits and see what works. And yeah, it's um, it feels like a very interesting experiment, definitely. I think in the end, 
even Ben Stiller said like the film process went on far far longer than they thought it would end up being like a six month shoot or something it's just I genuinely wow that is really long (laughs) for a comedy I mean you know comedies with a big set and a big budget like this okay I could see them going a little longer but six months six months and yeah I mean well Ben Stiller seems to have luck when it comes to arduous film because like less than 10 years later you have Tropic Thunder which is well all the stories that come from that is just yeah wild I feel like he's just a magnet for these things another masterpiece oh absolutely oh yeah another like when I talk about like walk hard and like those Adam McKay comedies as well but like Tropic Thunder is like one of the funniest movies ever oh my god and and Stiller's shtick I will say works really well for me in Tropic Thunder because it's like making fun of the guy who takes himself too seriously oh yeah yeah, but he is. It does. It is still that. It's still falling into what I was saying before, which is interesting. Although it does, it works for me in that film. But I also think he's again my least favorite character in that film, which we're getting on a little bit of a tangent. Oh here, yeah, but that's not yeah. saying that he's a bad character. That's saying I love the other ones even more. But I'm more into the other sticks than I am his. Oh. You know, um, I would say maybe like him and Alpa are the are the least um, interesting to me, and Alpa's barely fleshed out. I would say. You know, that's more on the writers than it is on, on me as a viewer, I think. Mm. But again, tangent, I love Tropic Thunder. I wanted to touch on a couple things you guys brought up. Gardner, you mentioned that we like Ben Stiller behind the camera in like production and directing, for example. Gotta shout out Severance, which we just did an episode on. If you missed that episode, we recapped all of season one, which we loved it. I'm going to spoil it for you guys. We loved it. I'm spoiling our thoughts, not the show. We loved it. We loved it. We loved it. I would not spoil the show for you because it's not a show you want spoiled. Look up the premise and tell me you don't want to watch it. But don't don't look up too much of the premise. But like, I don't know, man. Just watch it. Any anyone that hasn't read read the log line that should get you going. Oh yeah, yeah. Like one sentence and nothing more. But like, trust me, you'll want to see it. And it's well well done. And that's by him. Severance has become that show that literally everyone is saying. Oh, you have to watch it. It's just like. Before that, it was Succession, and eventually I got roped into watching Succession. I was like, okay, fine, I love it. So I feel like I'm going to fall in love with this, so I will listen to that after I have become hooked on Severance. Awesome. We love it. Yeah, you will. I'm also a huge Succession head, and this like oh filled the, the hole that I had missing after season three ended. <laughs> we also mentioned the soundtrack when you talk about Danny DeVito, which I did not know that Danny DeVito was potentially signed on. I think that's interesting because I wonder what that movie looks like as compared to this one. Not that, not necessarily saying that I think it would be better. I do maybe think it might be better because I love Danny DeVito and pretty much everything he does. And I think that like Matilda, for example, oh yeah, shows that he's got a style at least or is willing to ha- willing to have a style when it's called for, right? Oh yeah, well even like um, is it Death to Smoochie that he did like in the in the nineties as well? Like that's a weird old film to watch, but certainly yeah visually distinct and yeah i feel like he is a he's a film like it's weird to think of danny devito in that in that way because he's such a you know he's, he's so established as a comic personality in front of the camera but yeah he has done some really interesting stuff behind the scenes and like it's a shame that he's not been so prolific up to now who knows maybe he'll go on a run and make like a decade's worth of like great stuff but uh, having said this but yeah it does feel like it is it, what could have been really it's interesting though i wonder if we get danny devito does that mean that we don't get all-star 
with the cast of Mystery Men in the music video because he wanted a different soundtrack, maybe. <laughs> Obviously, that song is known for being the Shrek song, right? But people forget that this movie obviously came out beforehand. And yeah. not only is it featured in it, it's the music video for it is the characters oh, yeah. in this film. So just, I'd be remiss not to note that here because I, I had to, fun fact for anyone that is a fan. It was funny. I was thinking of that earlier when, when Simon was saying he watched this in Shrek back to back to back to back. I was like, dude, you must have had All-Star memorized. <laughs> so much Smash Mouth. Wake up and it's just All-Star. Go to bed and it's All-Star. Yeah, it's just haunted my yeah, early like pre-team life. That boy got his game on. <laughs> so I'm loving this. We're having a great conversation here. We've gone on a couple tangents, mostly my fault, but I will say that we can draw it back a little bit to the plot. Let's cool. get to the roundup of the other superheroes that they're going to get. Yeah. Because I think one of the funniest moments in the entire film is Kel, where they bring him, he brings them into his room and i will say the one line and this one didn't work for me where he was like oh i'm bringing three strange men up to my room i was like i feel like that's a joke that i've heard in a million things before and it like mm. it's just not i was like cut that one not in a sense where i'm like it's like offensive in any way that's not what i'm saying i just think it's just dumb and like i, I didn't think it needed to be there and it was like one where i was like all right you gotta have a better joke you know to fill and it's also it's a two-hour movie we don't need everything right oh yeah this movie could easily be a 90-minute movie i think not saying that like i hate 30 minutes of it i'm just saying you know a movie like this is probably more often a 90 minute movie than it is a 120 minute movie so oh yeah I'd agree with that was the part that i thought was like ah, okay didn't like that joke but it leads right into him explaining that he can only be invisible when no one's looking at him and that is a fucking great bit in my opinion <laughs> and then he's like oh so oh, when you look in the mirror he's like no, no no if i look myself in the mirror i also turn visible and i was like oh my god this is fucking hysterical i thought it was great <laughs> And then he was like, they're like, how, how do you know that? And he's like, when you turn invisible, you feel it. And they're like, all right, we're going. Let's get <laughs> out of here. <laughs> it's such a dumb joke, but it's like, it's so effective. And it's just got the best payoff at the end of it as well. It's like, because it is, it is just a stupid gimmick thing. And like, all the way through it, like, it's, it's. I, this is, yeah, I think it's just a great bit of writing and using what we already know to subvert that later on. I think that's really clever. That's a good, that's a good bit of comedy writing is not only do you have this whole kind of like, because you know, these people aren't really powered at all. Like you have like a guy who is just a little bit better at throwing a fork than the average person would be. <laughs> You're not going to have a bloody invisible person. and. Uh, yeah and then at the end of it it's just like the way he gets in on the team is that he's really good at networking like that's his that's his that's his in is that oh yeah i've got like an address book full of people like oh okay cool welcome to the team <laughs> uh, but then yeah obviously we get to the third act and yeah it's it's just very clever i think that's just very well done it was great payoff to that joke i would say that that joke yeah. got me and then um the only other one that like actually like really made me laugh out loud is when they're training with Sphinx and um, the Sphinx is like, your temper is very quick, my friend, but until you learn to master your rage, furious interrupts, your rage will become your master. That's what you're going to say. Right. Right. He's like, that necessarily. <laughs> Everyone just looks at him like, that's what you were going to say, dude. That is 100% what you're going to say. dude. <laughs> I enjoyed, I enjoyed the character of Sphinx. Yeah. 
let's say I think it works really well because if you didn't have like at least one person in this film who wasn't just you know playing it completely straight I mean they all are I think to varying degrees I think but yeah you have you have this character who is just yeah just straight out of a comic book like almost you feel like those lines are in there like cliches and all <laughs> just like uh but yeah I, and I feel like he's the grounding element I feel like when you have all these characters come in like the invisible boy like the spleen and then like the original three as well you need someone to just be like okay cool we need someone to kind of make sure this doesn't tip into sillyville it, it needs something and I think it just about does it, especially as they go off to meet Tom Waits in a crazy fun fair afterwards, <laughs> which I will say is exactly where I'd think to meet Tom Waits anywhere in real life. Apparently he does that in real life. He actually does like make stuff. He just like makes just he, he makes things out of scrap. He has like a yeah. six string like garbage dump or something that he made Amazing. that he can that he plays music on. Although I will say, I, I think even having the Sphinx in here, like, I don't think they do enough to balance it out. For me, this is completely in silly town, like all the way through. Yeah, that's fair. And that's what I'm like kind of talking about with the camp is it's just like so over the top. And if that is your bag, boy, is this the movie for you? I just yep. wanted a little <laughs> more balance, I think. Oh, that's totally fair. That is more than fair enough. So, yeah, I think for me, I mean, my opening gambit in a lot of conversations when it comes to films that people hate is that I really like the Joel Schumacher Batman. Batman? Batmans? I don't know the plural for that, but we'll go with that. Why not? And yeah, and I feel like this, I feel like this has certainly been a precursor to going back to those films in particular and having appreciation for that. Is like you say, the camp is like turned to 11 in... Like, there's a through line of that in both sets of films. And yeah, like, my my tastes throughout, kind of across genre and everything else, I guess does veer towards the more out there, certainly. Yeah, I mean, if you can dig bat nipples, then... Oh, absolutely. And say, slide a bat credit card right between them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sky's the limit for you, my friend. Never leave the cave without it, baby. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe I said that. Cool. <laughs> so I guess we can probably get to the climactic fight, the battle here, unless um, do we guys want to mention any of the things that I'm skipping over before we get there? Any like world building or character building moments that you really like? I will say Casanova Frankenstein. I think that's a good name. Great name. It's a great name. I think Jeffrey Rush is such an interesting actor in so many ways because he doesn't I feel like I might be wrong in this, but I think this was his first proper big like American studio movie. Um, like up to this, he'd been doing like independent cinema. He'd been doing a lot of like Shine, I think was the most prominent role. And that's because he got the Oscar for it. And then you have him just coming into like the studio system. And then you have this actor who is totally like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm doing my thing. I'm just being character actor, Jeffrey Rush. And then people go, okay, you're also a disco-themed supervillain with a lethal coke nail. Like, apparently he was properly into it and, like, never at any point ashamed to really give it the full go. And then you have things like, what was it, two, three years later, you have Pirates of the Caribbean, 
where he's basically doing this role again, but with a piratey accent instead of like some weird German, like Giorgio Moroder synth style type. It's just like, yeah, he's found his niche. I appreciate that. He's having so much fun, which makes me have fun when he's on screen. I think he's my favorite part of the movie is because he's just hamming it up, having a good old time. And you can't not like feel that energy through the screen when he's having fun. You're having fun, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think an extension to that, and I feel like she does deserve her plaudits for this. Like Janine Garofalo, I feel like this was the first thing I saw her in. Certainly won't be able to tell you much. Like a lot of anything else that she's done hasn't really come over the Atlantic, really. I might be wrong. Anyone who's listening to this from the UK is like, you idiot. She's been in this, this and this. But yeah, so this was like my first real exposure to her stuff. And I just found myself going, wow, she's really cool. And like, yeah, that whole aesthetic of the daughter of someone who's quite established as a hero and having this whole kind of gnarly, punky, like aesthetic-y, bouldery thing with like green highlights and everything else. That's just like, this is very cool. This is a very cool person to be around. And I thought she was genuinely, I thought she was great. I know it is a bit of a tropey character to play, the kind of, especially in the late 90s. But I thought, you know what? You're given that material and she did really well with it. I have a soft spot for her, but I really did like the character. I wanted to bring it up because as we're recording this, actually, I had the opportunity to see her as a stand-up tonight at the local New York stand-up joint. But I obviously chose to be here instead. But (laughs) she goes to that place a lot. It's not like, oh, I missed my opportunity. She goes to the place a lot, so I'll be there. Janine, if you ever listen to this or if i ever get the chance to talk to you after the show i will be asking you to come on the podcast so oh amazing that is very cool i liked i liked her character i do i love janine garofalo wet hot american summer being one of my favorite comedies and um just like a she's like a i i just thought of this now but she the character is like um precursor to Ratcatcher 2 in the suicide squad yeah oh my god yeah in a very fun way i feel so much overlap in terms of text and subtext from what we have now to definitely like half of James Gunn's career <laughs> like even stuff like super or like even the more gross stuff that happens to Captain Amazing uh with things like Slither and like the trauma stuff like that like I feel like there is a I'm not gonna say that everything that James Gunn has ever done can be traced back to mystery men but I'm certainly not not saying it well, it's like you said, this movie was very prescient and um, exactly. it was just kind of like a lot of the stuff, the, the comedic elements and the, uh, the story elements or character traits are definitely things that we see, I think, probably naturally emulated or, or naturally recurring in mm. superhero films subsequent to this back like in the 2000s when it started to be like the real oh, yeah. renaissance of superhero films. Totally. Yeah. So. Time to get to the final battle, I guess, and the murder of Captain Amazing. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned at the start of this that I first watched this film when I was 10 or 11. Yeah, this certainly gets graphic in a way that my young mind was not really ready to comprehend. Like I'd seen some horror bits and some like body horror and some very violent stuff at that point. Sorry, mum and dad, if you're listening, I either... They know most of it, I think. (laughs) 
but yeah when when watching that I just found myself going like obviously you have the kind of the jokey thing about the oh flip this one flip that one like you know it's the whole it's almost like who's on first level of like okay right flip the first switch oh the first switch okay the second and that kind of thing but then yeah when it goes wrong oh boy and I even watching it like earlier is just yeah it's there's some really fun but also really gross visual work going on there I was not expecting it yeah I was not expecting that like horrifying visual and there's also a moment later where the Janine Garofalo is putting the bowling ball into like the yeah the giant sky beam or whatever it is and like her face starts to get distorted and I was like damn that's actually like a really good effect like there are parts of the movie where I'm looking at the effects I'm like eh, you know it's 1999 but oh, then yeah. that one I was like actually genuinely unsettling a little bit yeah oh totally and like the whole thing like prior to that when it has got uh when we're when we're going through the whole process with Captain Amazing there is a point where he he not well not only the switch is flipped but he flips and he's genuinely at a point like I have a massive death beam pointing down at me and like he sells that panic and that fear of going please do this properly or I am gonna die and it's gonna be very unpleasant and it's just like damn okay this got very real and like the stakes got very genuine very quickly (laughs) and it's clever because what they were trying to do with the rest of the film wouldn't work if he was still around unless he was like Mm. i guess incapacitated they could have done you know they could have like made him like given the mind of a 12 year old or something you know reverted him like psychologically to back when he was a child or something like that you know what i mean some something like that to like incapacitate him in a way without actually killing him but they went mm. all the way which i like i will say what it's doing there is leading down to like the heartfelt ending and giving you the emotional you know beats of it where it's like oh we're a team now and one of my biggest complaints i think with this film is i think it has too much heart or it tries to have too much heart in certain aspects where i would have preferred again just to be more like a parody and it's like almost like it takes itself a little too seriously when it tries to do that where when it's hitting these story beats that are fine and good and well in a normal movie and like not going to blow your mind or anything but not also going to like take away from like there's perfectly good movies that are very cookie cutter plots but still have great things about them that make them excellent movies and i think that with this one it's hurt by the fact that it is too much of this like heartwarming like i don't want to say like disney channel ish but like that vibe where it's like needs to be this like heartwarming like tied up like i almost would prefer a more cynical satirical look on it but that's just i mean you can't fault a film for like you wanting to see a different movie you know what i mean that's not fair to the filmmakers or the film itself i'm just saying like in things that as i'm watching it like what would i what would i do differently what would i how would I make this a more enjoyable film for me? That's like the tweaks I would put on it and, and how I would find it to be more interesting, I think, in ways that I do find it interesting in other aspects, for sure, like more so than Gardner, for sure. But not as much as you, Simon, but that's fine. I do think that it doesn't have like, because I, I have heard it described as like a cult classic at times. And I don't think it necessarily has enough weirdness or enough of a weird plot, maybe, to really cement itself as as deserving of that in my mind like when i watched rocky horror picture show for i was like okay is this necessarily a good movie i don't know but (laughs) can i understand why it's cemented as a cult classic absolutely right when you watch that movie you're like okay yeah this is 
I mean, you want to talk about Camp Gardner. I mean, that's a perfect example of that. That might be the example, actually. Oh, yeah. That might be what Camp is right there, just like distilled into a movie. I would say so. Right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's like look in the dictionary and you find it under camp. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, honestly. you got a picture of Tim Curry and fishnets right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But do you see what I'm saying? I, I guess maybe like Simon, maybe you, this is a question for you. Do you see what I'm saying? Where I'm not necessarily disparaging the movie, but I'm saying it's not weird in that way, or it doesn't have that much of a uniqueness. Maybe that's yeah. It's whereas I don't think it's I, I don't think it's not unique. But it's not unique in a way that maybe some other cult classics, I think, tend to be. See, I think this is interesting. I feel like when thinking about this film and, and trying to place it in terms of other films at or around the time, the other film that comes to mind, not least because of pastiche and you know, kind of going into genre and that kind of lovingly, slightly ribbing way, but not so much to become, like you say, full parody, is Galaxy Quest. Like, I feel like this is a really, like, these two would make a really good double bill. I think if, you know, if there were a repertory cinema out there thinking about it, call me. <laughs> I, I will take, expect my paycheck in the post. But no. <laughs> uh, but no, no, I think what's interesting is that Galaxy Quest has found that cult following because there's, I don't know whether there's just enough or, or, or people have kind of gone, like, for me, it's weird because when it comes to cult stuff, I feel like sometimes, like you say, it doesn't necessarily like there's there's this weird thing. It's it's almost unquantifiable, isn't it? There's like a you try and find out what it is, and like so many filmmakers now want to make the next cult classic without even realizing what it is that made them cult classics in the first place. And like I'm sure there are people. I say I'm sure. I hope there are people like me <laughs> in the world who you know love this film and watched it on repeat and I feel like that in a way would I guess make it in that sense of things a, a bit of a cult film but I think it's weird because it does feel like a film that wasn't designed to have any great meaning or personal closeness in terms of this was one person's vision I mean we talked about how this was going over and over in terms of different people handling it at any point but I think, and I, and I swear there is a point in this somewhere, <laughs> but I do think that when it comes to how it, how it is now, I guess, like 20 something years down the line, like I do think that it is ripe for a point where people will kind of come to it. And I think people will either be like you Gardner and just kind of go, this is a little bit too rich for my blood. You know, there's a lot going on there. It is camp and then some, and that is, you know, not my bag. Or you find people who will go, you know what, this is so out there. This is so silly. This is so over the top. And everyone is just, you know, you've even got Michael Bay in there being a frat boy in the most weird metatextual point of the film of, yeah, the biggest frat boy in Hollywood being the biggest frat boy. In the film. And then, yeah, just that kind of thing. And I feel like I will admit it's not a perfect film. And I think we'll come to that when it comes to like the final ratings later on. But it's got so, like, like I said at the start, like it's, its heart is so in the right place. And when it does land, it is so funny. And like every weird little tidbit and trinket, like Tom Waits' character's contraptions, like the blamethrower, 
where you just turn it on and everyone has a proper row or like the shrink ray where it doesn't shrink you it just gives you like the worst wedgie you'll ever have like all of that is just like that is great like i will like give me 10 hours of that i don't care about two you know (laughs) but yeah i feel like it is time i feel like it's time that people come to this like we again said at the start this film made no money back at the box office and i just feel like now's the time now's the time you know we have so many platforms where this could appear on whether it's netflix prime what have you just yeah i hope that over time people would find it again and especially in the wake of the universe multiverse metaverse whatever you want to call it that we have now in terms of people in masks and capes going out and saving their patch every now and again but yeah that's i guess how where i where i stand on it unfortunately it's on peacock I was going to say the same thing, so no one's ever going to see it. I saw it when it was on Netflix about a year ago. (laughs) The first time I ever watched it, it was on Netflix. No one's going to see it on Peacock because only, like, I don't know, my grandmother has it. (laughs) Shout out to my grandmother. What's that thing that lasted, like, two weeks? Was it Quibi? Quibi. Quibi. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'll be back in a Quibi. I feel like Peacock's going to go the way of Quibi any minute now. Oh, I can see it. I mean, I don't know anyone who has It's like CBS All Access, too. It's like all like the ones that are based on the cable shows. Or right, shows. yeah. Now, the, you know, the channels, the cable channels. I feel like unless you're a big, like, The Office fan, for example, I think you have oh, to have yeah. Peacock now to have The Office. I think they've probably right. taken it off of everything else. So it's like unless you really want to watch their shows, I don't think they have a good catalog of other stuff. See, this is the thing. Over here, we keep being told, oh, such and such is coming. Like, oh, HBO Max is coming to the UK in like the next six months or whatever. But every time it happens, it all gets pulled under. Like, so we have this broadcaster, Sky, which is basically essentially cable. It's all in one. It's like this big thing. And as soon as like Peacock came over here, it ended up on Sky as part of the package. So you didn't have to pay extra. It was there. And like all access. Oh, it's there. And it's like HBO Max is going to have the same thing. It just feels like, oh, man, we have all of these streaming platforms all on one thing. That's easy to access with a TV guide. Uh, Oh, it feels like we're in exactly the same place as we were like five, six years ago. Nothing has changed. At least it's on demand, though. At least it's on the, I guess. Yeah. It's just, and at it's least so it's all funny. under one. You don't have to remember 10 different passwords. Oh my God. Get yeah. Billed you were just 10 separate yeah. instances. That sounded I like heaven that, as yeah. you were describing that. I was like, oh, you mean you already have it as soon as it comes over? Isn't like Hulu underneath Sky as well? Or am I making I that think, up? I think that's Disney Plus over here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh it's, it's Star. Okay. That's the one. Star that's is what I was one. thinking of. Star, star so, yeah, and Sky sound like, a little similar to me. Yeah. This ain't your kids, Disney kind of thing. It's like, yeah, <sighs> Disney with swears. It's fun. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's just like, it's so funny that we have all these people saying that streaming is the future. Uh, all these different places are going to have their own thing. Uh, you're going to have to, yeah, subscribe to this, that and the other. And then the reality of it is, oh, it's just TV. There's, there's yeah. no major change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's just my weird boomeresque rant there for a second. I'm sorry. No, no. And we were talking about the streaming services that no one has. One of the ones that a lot of people don't have is Apple TV, which I think more people yeah. should get because it's got so many great TV shows. We were talking about Severance. My oh, favorite yeah. show right now that's coming out isn't 
succession it's actually for all mankind which is on i've heard so much about this yeah it's on apple tv it's so good it's, it's an alternate history in the first five minutes you get it. i've said it on the podcast before but it's what if russia got to the moon before us and they Ooh. won that part of the space race as well and it goes from there and then it diverges because obviously it takes a different it's an alternate timeline then from there on out and it goes very alternate oh okay and it's interesting it's very interesting i won't say anything else because i don't want to spoil it it's got two seasons out already but that's another example i just crushed after party which i hadn't gotten to oh, but that is easy watch. yeah 30 minute episodes eight episodes total and it had me the entire time i did guess who it was like episode five or six but no big deal i'm just a genius i it, it caught me to the finale <laughs> yeah yeah oh i well i there was one I don't know what I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil it for anyone listening, but there was like a couple of things. Yeah. I looked at Reddit threads and everyone had guessed it by like episode three. And I was like, fuck y'all. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, come on. I went through the whole rest of the season, like, God, I hope they're not right. They were right. <laughs> My excuse was that I was enjoying the narrative device too much. That I was I didn't care about the who done it. And that's my excuse. Definitely not that I just didn't pick up on all the stuff no we believe you that's simon's story and he's sticking to it exactly yeah. your honor <laughs> the defense rests <laughs> so we've pretty much gotten most of the points down i do want to touch on the reporters coming afterwards once they have saved the day but mm. do you guys have anything else that you want to bring up like oh we really haven't talked about william h macy at all which I, we've talked about his character kind of but he's one of Hollywood's best character actors, I think. At least one of my favorites. I think that he's great at those kind of totally weird roles, not in like the sense of necessarily like uh Joker weird to throw it back to our Batman episodes, but weird in a sense of like he's like a weaselly guy in certain mm. senses, like I don't know, like his Boogie Nights character is so pathetic i guess fargo yeah oh my god fargo yeah yeah for lack of a better word but i know and then i was gonna go to far yeah fargo and then also um his uh the former quiz kid in magnolia as well i was thinking of is also is also a great one but those kind of characters which obviously when he's working with great directors it's easy you want to talk about like john c Riley as well working with pta it's easy to 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 look like a great actor and be a great actor and not just look like one when you're when you're getting stuff to sink your teeth into which goes back to kind of what i was saying with Ben Stiller in this is that I'm not necessarily going to go the route of saying that I don't think he's always worse in front of the camera than he is behind the camera, Gardner. Like you took that hot take out there. <laughs> I'll agree with you to a certain degree. I'm not going to go all the way with you on that one, but I will say he, like, for example, in this one, I don't think he was given, like I said earlier, like given enough to do. Whereas, like, you know, like I said, like when you're talking about like William H. Macy and Boogie Nights, he's given a character that's fun to sink your teeth into. And same thing with Magnolia, same thing with Fargo, same thing with even like Shameless, which he's more of a leading man in. But yeah, so Hanjid there, we didn't really mention him. I don't know if you guys have other points that you want to get into before. Like I said, we just quickly, I want to talk about the reporters and there's a, there's one last moment that I want to get to. Yeah, I will second that on the William H. Macy thing. I think he is an actor who, like much like Jeffrey Rush, and you know, he, he will just go, oh, okay, so uh, this is, you know, I'm doing this, 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 and this, and this scene. Okay, great. Right, let's just crank everything up. And just like, cool, the acting is happening now. And he is so great. And he gets some real dumbass funny lines in this. Like, God gave me a gift. I shovel very well. Like, and he plays that like it's Hamlet. Like, it's great. He's just genuinely like, this is, okay, this is the scene. This is how you want it played. Perfect. And 
like it's he's he's just so good and again like jeffrey rush he is having an absolute ball of a time in this i think he's just like it's so weird because like he's one of those actors where like like you say he fits into these weird character roles so well and you almost feel like oh he's like this esteemed actor like he's you know this this feels like comparatively like slumming it and then you get it to it and it's just like oh no no he's really having fun like this is the kind of thing that he'd probably like wake up for you know in the morning and yeah I I didn't I genuinely just thought this could have been so phoned in this could have been so like oh my god what am I doing I, I I'm in Fargo for god's sake I'm in Magnolia but no he's genuinely like cool this is great uh, yeah I just it's watching him as a joy and I will say we already mentioned her, but Janine Garofalo, I think, is having a great time, too, as well. In this. Oh, yeah. Like she's I would say that she gets a little hammy at points in a good way. Like, you know, when an actor is like in there's certain movies where it's the right time to ham it up. Mm. And I think that she gets hammy at the right moments in this in oh, fun yeah. ways with like a silly character who's like doing a sensibly silly stuff at some points throughout the film and i think that she does does a good uh job of doing that and i think she's obviously not had the chance to unfortunately have roles like magnolia fargo boogie nights and other things that, that william H. macy has been in but yeah. so she's not like necessarily gotten the chance to do both but i do see her at least from my perspective it seemed like she was having a great time doing this i was actually really surprised to throw it back to earlier that you mentioned that there was like turmoil and that it was a six month process because when i was watching it my first thought would be that oh this would be a movie that like everyone like you said was happy to be there for had a good time got out of there and it was made and it was like supposed to be like easy peasy almost you know what i mean yeah like it does feel like like we talked about before like the adam mckay type films or like why is this name disappeared from my brain judd apatow that's it where everyone is clearly just having the time of their life and like all the b-roll and everything else just suggests they're just like oh they're just kicking around being like morons for four weeks like they're great they're, they're loving it and then yeah for it to be such an arduous like everyone stick around and right okay we're gonna we're gonna nail this scene we're gonna work through all of this it's like wow okay to the point where it comes to blows almost like that's wild well, it does feel like the main cast is having fun with one another. I wonder if a lot of the production troubles didn't come from like mm. suits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, because it, it does feel like Duncan, when you were talking earlier about this movie having too much heart and like the sappy moments, like the whole long scene with Hank Azaria getting his mom's forks and stuff like that and trying to play it up. as like this really sweet moment. I'm like, I was with you. I was like, we could just not have a lot of this stuff and just like streamline this movie a little bit more and I, I wonder if and this is complete speculation a lot of that turmoil came from people in the studio coming in and saying we need to have this 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 and this in the movie and also the director not not having directed a movie before just doing commercials and then going mm. on to do you know a 70 million dollar superhero comedy I can imagine that made for a pretty stressful environment oh, yeah. and you don't feel it or i didn't feel it among the actors but i felt it with just kind of the general composition of like the, the editing and the story structure so here we are we're at the real end of the film where we get a little bit more heart where they're you know they're the team now they've done it they're they're getting the press that at the beginning of the movie it parallels that they weren't getting it and it was going to the now dead captain amazing and it's nice. I don't actually mind the heart here at the end. I wanted to talk about 
the moment where they're like, oh, like, what's your name? And then, like, they can't think of a name. They, they're, like, they're like, no, well, it's not that. It's definitely not that. But we don't have one yet. They're like, all right, well, thanks to these mystery men. And then the guy comes on the screen and he goes, that's it. We'll be called the, and he says something else other than Mystery Men. It's like the Super Squad or something, yeah. Yeah, it was so good. <laughs> it's such a good subversion. Like, you think that he's about to say it right at the end of the movie, and he just doesn't. I think it's amazing. I thought that was maybe even funnier to me than the Invisible Kid stuff. Oh my god, yeah. It's just like, and even then the outrage at the new suggestion is like, what is the stupidest name I've ever heard? <laughs> and they're like, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's almost like <laughs> echoing the audience being like, no, you were supposed to say mystery, man. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. I, I like oh, that yeah. part. I say, apparently the, um, the ending of the film was a reworking from test audiences. So it's the classic. They saw it and, th- and thought this needs to be more uplifting. I don't know what point was, I don't know if it's like they don't pull through or they don't save the city or something like that. But um, apparently there was something worked at the end where they went, okay, we need like a big like cheer moment. And so, yeah, there's, I, I sadly didn't get a chance to track down what that was before the recording. But yeah, apparently this was a, a bit of a, okay, we need something to work this out. A bit like dodgeball <laughs> in that sense of, Okay, yeah, the ending's a bit too like we've had a bit too much fun and games up to this point. We need we need something to really cap it off. We need a literal Deus Ex Machina to come down. Oh my god, I love that so much. That's my favorite detail is that it has Deus Ex Machina written yeah. on it. Yeah. Let's <laughs> say, like, oh my god. I say, if anything, aside from appreciating mystery men, it makes me just want to go back and watch Dodgeball again. I mean, that's a classic in my opinion. That is a classic. My one of my all-time favorite bits, and I can't do it justice here because it's like a whole, it's like a whole thing. But when they're trying to explain who Steve the pirate is to the guy after <laughs> Steve the pirate has left, and he's like, does not have any recollection of a guy dressed like and talking like a pirate being with them the entire time. It's just it has landed with me for fifteen years, however long it's been since it came out. Like ever since I I first saw it, you know. It has landed and it continues to land with me to this day. It's just a very defining moment of that. You know, it's got a lot of iconic lines throughout that film, but oh, that's yeah. a defining moment that just like stuck out to me from the beginning. Like always was like a really, really great, funny moment for me. Oh my God. What a film. It's just, I'm going to come back and talk about Dodgeball, I think. Just my make an excuse. Oh, that, we, we, later on, we were gonna we were gonna try to coax you to getting to say that you were gonna be willing to be a recurring guest one day. So you know, oh, if you could already put it on down the schedule, talk, yeah, we already have a, a film in mind. Then now you're definitely. It sounds like you've sunk your boat. I say you guys have made this bed. So uh, no, you've made your bed. I think yeah. <laughs> this sounds awesome to me. Excellent. Well, I'm on board. So since. We just did get to the end of it. Do you guys want to get into our final thoughts and our ratings? Sure. Awesome. Well, just like at the beginning, we let you go first. We like to let our guests go first again at the end. So that means you'll get to give your final thoughts and your rating of Mystery Men right now for our audience. Right. So I do think that the last 23 years or 22 years, I guess, since I saw it, for the first time, haven't changed how I feel about it at all. I think when I first saw this film, it really just captivated me in a way that I thought, this is just, is this what grown-up films feel like? And I just felt myself thinking, if it is, then sign me up. 
and then yeah looking back and if I could tell 11 year old me it's like oh if only you knew (laughs) that would be just yeah I could imagine that conversation would go but yeah no I think watching this now I do feel like all the old feelings are there all the old loves and joys you know time and more critical faculties have meant that it's you know shown up some wrinkles definitely but you know like I said it's no it's not a perfect film but it is a film that's made with such joy and in spite of everything behind the camera they managed to make something in front of the camera which I do feel has stood the test of time I do think that it deserves its dues in so many ways that it hasn't yet and I really hope that that time comes and I'll be glad to be the person at the forefront of that if that's if that opportunity ever came up but yeah I just think that this is a real treat and yeah I normally and if you ever listen to our reviews on on Jumpcast we are big advocates for cut a film down you do not need a film to be this long but watching this I still felt like you know what I'll just let it percolate just carry on just carry on being quirky oddball misfits I love it so when it comes to the rating, so I'm going to pick spooky bowling balls and I'm going to say 85 spooky bowling balls out of 100. Oh, very fair. I think that's a, a great score and uh, a lovely unit. Definitely. I love the unit. <laughs> um, awesome. So Gardner, that means you're up next with your final thoughts and your rating. Be kind. I will be kind. Um I actually think you guys kind of like warmed me up a little bit more to this movie in the discussion than I felt like immediately after finishing it. Um, I still don't love it. I probably won't return to it, but I definitely see a lot more of the positive aspects of it now, which like you said, Duncan is, is more fun than focusing on the things that I, I didn't enjoy. Nevertheless, those things are still there. Still have my problems with the movie. You know, if it hits for you, it hits for you. If it doesn't hit for you, it's it's tough. So with you guys having warmed me up to it a little bit more, I'm going to give Mystery Men 40 deadly Coke nails out of 100. All right. Okay. <laughs> That's great. So that leaves me. I probably am a tough critic when it comes to comedies in the sense that it has to be a game-changing comedy for me in the sense that some of the ones that I've mentioned earlier in this episode are for it to get like probably an 85 and up. It's got to be a real game-changer, which maybe isn't fair. Maybe I'm more lenient on other categories, but it is how I feel because maybe I think there's a bigger disparity between a good and okay or a good and great comedy film than there is in other films. Or that there's more middle-of-the-road movies in other categories than there is in this genre. I think there's bigger drop-offs. So with that being said, I think that this movie, like I said, has great characters, good performances with those characters from great actors. And that's a huge positive for it. I also think that as a comedy, it doesn't have enough jokes and not enough jokes that land, in my opinion, for it to be one of those really upper echelon ones for me like when i'm talking about like a real like comedy comedy i guess i'm picturing like jokes like kind of flying at you a little bit more and those then you have more leeway for them to miss it's okay more for like there to be a couple that miss if you're getting hit with 
you know, like hundreds of them, I guess. Whereas this one, I think the big ones work. And like I said, when they land, they land for me. But there's more in between them than I'd like, I guess. And the aesthetic works. The camp works. The direction works in the sense for me that it's like going for a style, I think. And the overall feel of it works for me. We've gone over the parts that I don't love. I have to fall back on again. Just it's the actors, the performances, the characters for me that tie this movie together. I think it does have a little bit too much heart, but at points that heart works. I've talked about some of the comedy that works for me. With all that being said, I'm giving it 72 shovels out of 100. Nice. I go shovels. I know it's kind of lame, but I did want to give William H. Macy a little more shout out there because, again, he's one of my favorites. Prior to seeing this, he had been one of my favorites. So I have to use a unit to give him a little more shine. So (laughs) now that we're done with our final thoughts and our ratings, we have to give a big thank you to you, Simon, for joining us today, bringing this movie and for being a wonderful guest from start to finish. Oh, well, thank you so much. And genuinely, this has been one of the most fun experiences recording just anything or even just participating in anything. It's been yeah really fun cannot wait to tell everyone about you guys thank you so much that means a lot that's really great to hear and we can't wait to have you back on absolutely yeah yes yes awesome (laughs) and (laughs) i i have to like throw it right back at you because even before obviously our listeners didn't get to hear what happened before recorded but we you know obviously talked it up a little bit for a couple minutes beforehand and i was already like this is gonna be great this guy's awesome. <laughs> He's going to be so much fun to talk to. And you lived up to my expectations throughout it. Oh, so like I said, I vote Dodgeball. If you end up wanting to do a different movie later down the well, line, so. we can figure it out. But I mean, Dodgeball sounds like a great time to come back to Absolutely. sometime, you know, in the in the future. Oh, I am on board with that if you guys are. Awesome. I'm glad that we've made a new friend here. I mean, I hope I'm not jumping <laughs> again there, but I, I, I no, no, I'm, I'm already on board with that. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. And um. Our listeners, definitely be sure to check out both of Simon's podcasts. That's right. <laughs> I know. God, I spread myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have Jumpcast and Little yes. Woman in Black Thunderpants podcast, which That's right, yeah. Simon is available to listen on. Are those available on any platforms on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere? Yep. All the good ones and some evil ones, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, we you know we're on some evil ones as well, but we don't really <laughs> we don't really have the 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 means to not be on everything we can't be on. So well, sorry yeah, to our listeners yeah. if we're contributing to the evil in the world a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> it's fine as long as you're a light in the darkness. That's the important thing. That's weirdly profound. There we go. That's <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Oh god, not intended at all. But you know, it it happens sometimes. I guess. Beautiful. Accidental philosopher Simon Whitlock. Yes. <laughs> on the podcast. I'm adding it to the business card. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> so before we do let you go, we yeah. have a question if you would like to answer it, which Ooh. is we like to ask a lot of our guests this question, most of them, honestly. Do you have an independent filmmaker maybe that you would like to share with our audience and us that we should check out and that you'd like to just bring some like attention to maybe because you know we love bringing attention to more independent filmmakers and just like this film said support your local musicians and independent film which was a great shout out at the end of this film so that's what we love to do absolutely exactly yes thank you the bowler 
for that one because I think, yeah, Janine Garoppolo got it spot on. Uh, but no, I think, so I've had a bit of time to think about it over the course of recording. And there is one person, I say there's obviously heaps and heaps of people to, that deserve it, but in a completely different shift of tone uh, to this film. So there is a filmmaker called Jennifer Sheridan. She made her first film a couple of years ago now, kind of during the peak of COVID lockdowns and everything else. And she released this film called Rose, A Love Story. It's a British horror film. It's set out in the wilderness of, like out, out in the countryside in, in, in Wales in the UK. And it is so well done. It is all of three people in the cast plus the odd extra. I say the odd, like maybe one or two other people. So like you know, total of five and we're not even naming all the characters here. And it's such a brilliant, wonderful, heartfelt really quite claustrophobic and genuinely creepy film. I had the pleasure of talking to Jennifer uh, for a publication during a film festival a couple of years ago um, about it. And she is just so lovely to chat to and so like in love with her craft. And she made what was my favorite film of that year. And I think it's, not the most easy to find film, but it is so worth watching. It's, yeah, properly gnarly as well. And, and just so well done. It's all about the stuff you don't see rather than the stuff you do. It's all the implied and the suggested and like the situation and the reality of it all. It's just like, it's so well done. And it's like, that's her first film and that's amazing. So that's my recommendation there. Awesome. Thank you. And just a quick shout out, same last name that I have, so... Hey, gotta, there we go. Gotta give, gotta give a shout out for that, you know. I, my Perfect. ears perked up immediately. Not that I, you know. Hey. Maybe, maybe it's a cousin. Oh you know, you never know. I, I have, who I got some, some family in the UK, so who knows? Oh, that might be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, to our audience, check that out. I know I will be. And now that we're at the end, we'd also like to thank our listeners for sticking around and for listening to our episodes. We want to thank you guys for listening to all our past episodes as well as this one. And thank you to all of our new listeners as well. Anyone who's just stopping by for this episode, maybe got a little interested, want to listen to some more episodes and some of our backlog. I told you at the top of the show that we have four episodes a week, and that is true. But next week, like I said, there will be six episodes. So... Before we get to that, let's remind you that tomorrow we have our full episode this week with Steve Chorney, where we have an interview with him and we discuss his artwork that he does for movie posters. That was a great interview, so definitely don't miss it. Then next week, we will have our Monday episode where we continue our miniseries and we talk to director Kari. On top of that, we have our Tuesday episode where we're talking about Iron Man 2. And on Thursday, we discuss Set It Off with special guest Latoya, who picked the film. Next Friday, we have another interview with Matt, who is an aspiring writer who we talked to for a good amount of time about his work and where he's at in his career and what he wants to do next. It was really insightful and an awesome time to get the perspective of someone else in the film industry who hasn't necessarily broken into it yet, but is someone with great ideas. And we discussed those ideas. So check that out. On top of all of those regularly scheduled episodes, like I said, we are also going to have Kenobi episode one releasing on Saturday, and Kenobi Episode 2, releasing on Sunday. So that's all that's coming up. We have Steve Chorney interviewed tomorrow. Great episode. Then we have six episodes next week that I just told you about. So get ready for all those, 
And while you're waiting, check out our back catalog of episodes as well. And make sure you check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can find us by searching the letters G, D, T. And then once you've done that, you can subscribe to us and even leave a nice five-star review. Folks, we love those five-star reviews. So if you're feeling nice, definitely feel free to give us one of those. Stick around for all those. And in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GoodDataPod and on Facebook at GDT Podcast. Check us out there. Check out all our previous episodes. And Simon, while we're here, do you have any socials that you'd like to plug as well? I didn't ask you earlier. Oh, that's fine. Oh, God. I'm not the plugging kind normally. But <laughs> uh, I guess if you insist on following me, I am mostly active on Twitter. Uh, and even then, active is a big word for it. But I am found at Simon R. Whitlock. Uh, that's Whitlock, W-H-I-T-L-O-C-K. And then, yeah, from there, you'll find all the bits that I do in bios, retweets, etc. Beautiful. So you can find everything in one place at Simon R. Whitlock on Twitter. And then, like I said, don't forget to follow us at Good Data Pod on Twitter and Instagram. That's all for this week, folks. We will talk to you again on Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We love you. We'll see you on the next one.